0: Welcome to the Maintenance Community Podcast, a podcast for those who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. My name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. In this episode, I have the incredible honor of interviewing Indranel Sarkar, the CTO of the manufacturing industry at Microsoft. We're going to be asking a few questions sourced from our own members and take a deep dive into Indranel's vision for the future of manufacturing and technology. Indranel, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: No, thank you for the opportunity and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. All right. So we've been looking forward to this conversation
0: for many, many weeks now, and we've sourced some awesome questions from our community itself. Where I first want to start is actually from an article that you responded to a quote about three years ago. You had mentioned by the year 2020, manufacturers in every single industry will have invested billions of dollars into a wide array of advanced digital and fabrication technologies. Your big bets were on people, processes, mixed realities, intelligent supply chain practices. It's 2021 now. So, you know, we're, we're a few years beyond that prediction. I want to really ask you three years later from that prediction, what digital transformations have we seen in manufacturing? And how has COVID fundamentally sped up or slowed down any of these transformations?
1: The quote is actually from NIST. Actually, they had projected at that point of time. You know, I mean, clearly, I think the few things we have seen, I mean, the technology has definitely been accelerating a lot of the transformation agenda within the industry. We have also seen that acceleration even speed up further in this era of pandemic. It's interesting because, you know, I mean, we can always talk about this from a theoretical aspect of it. One of the things, pre-pandemic, there was a study from PwC that showed that you know 91% of the industrial companies are investing in digital factories but only 6% of all respondents described their factories as fully digitized so the scope was pretty high and same thing came from McKinsey back in 2019, that if there would be a broad scale of innovation to keep up with the, you know, the lighthouse manufacturing, which is predominantly the study that came out of World Economic Forum and McKinsey together, they basically say that there is the scope, there is an effort that is going on but what we are now seeing in a 2020 MAPI report, you know, the Manufacturing Alliance for Productivity and Innovation, they found that 62% of the leaders that were surveyed, they continuing that the smart factory investment are allocating 20% more for those innovations or other the initiatives this year. And I think you know that basically shows that there is a accelerated approach in why these investments need to happen. You know, as they recognized disruptions in the industry were largely caused mainly because some of the agility didn't exist in the factories. They weren't built for these kind of once in a millennium kind of an event. And I think that's what we are definitely seeing. So To to answer your question, I think, yes, definitely, we have seen some advancement of technology three years ago, the prediction, and even if not, even move further ahead.
0: And I'm sure you didn't factor in the whole global pandemic into those
1: projections. That's correct. I mean, many of these reports looked at it at a regional perspective, although the McKinsey World Economic Forum and, and, you know, we have been working closely with them globally for those lighthouse projects. Clearly, I think the message that we are hearing back from them to accelerate those efforts even further.
0: So what I hear from you, Injuno, is like very, very early innings of this, you know, digital transformation within manufacturing, still a long ways to go, but it seems like we're starting to make a lot more progress. And it seems like COVID has really sped up and accelerated some of these digital transformations within in the manufacturing industry, especially here in the US. I'm curious, you know, obviously you made these predictions about three years ago. Has you know, those big bets and people, processes, mixed realities, intelligent supply chain practices, has that changed and shifted that much over the last three years?
1: I would I think that, you know, the way how we see it, the transformation was already underway. I think, you know, uh, with the industry 4.0, the basic framework of cyber physical systems, the maturity models that were built out, you know, from being connected to becoming more predictive and then uh, becoming more cognitive or prescriptive, if you think of it that way. I mean, we've seen the work started pretty early, you know, five, six, seven years ago, but they were mostly in the proof of concepts and pilots and uh, you know, getting out of that pilot purgatory and being able to scale into the broader manufacturing, you know, even within larger enterprises where they have hundreds of factories, how do you replicate that same you know, success that you may have had in few factories into multiple of them? We are seeing some significant shift, obviously, right? And, and I think the technology maturity also played a role. Like for example, broader acceptance of the cloud technology, and also the seamless aspect of the you know edge to cloud as an example of it are some of the things that we have seen uh, being adopted and i think you know that's become a lot more mainstream and much more easier for implementation for a lot of customers that's not just the thing but what we have also seen that how AI is starting to, you know, uh, benefit the customers. You know, as I mentioned about the predictive aspect of it, but then, you know, getting into that cognitive part of it are, uh, are clearly some of the key advancements. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest challenges that we have always seen in the manufacturing is the connectivity aspect of it. And I think, you know, we have heard about brownfield environment where you need to connect with newer equipments, with the older equipments at the same time. Uh, Microsoft and, you know, a number of other manufacturing leaders in the industry came together creating this, you know, open manufacturing platform, which has 22 to 25 now, 22, around 22 to 25, steering um, members that are basically leading a lot of the work that is going on. And it's under Linux Foundation today. And it's truly the definition is that, you know, how do you create that open framework so everybody can take advantage of it? And I think, you know, that's going to really accelerate some of the adoption work. And in parallel, what we have also seen is newer technology like digital twin taking shape. We have seen, you know, mixed reality mature to be able to, you know, greater adoption in factories and in field services and so many other areas. And lastly, I would say that the evolution of the business model, and I think, you know, people are now able to take up these new business models for driving their manufacturing, whether it is, you know, product as a service or creating newer capability of you know, IoT that changes the way how you actually define your broader supply chain and the value chain for that matter are uh, really evolving and transforming the way how we think about it.
0: And Indrana, I remember we were talking about this maybe three weeks, two, three weeks ago about like how technology adoption is accelerating right now, but we're going to continue to see this acceleration. A big part of that is the way that technology is adopted. I mean, something that you mentioned was how a lot of technology is going from this pilot phase to, you know, let's call it like more broader acceptance and rollout. And I think what we talked about two, three weeks ago was this idea that once you have this blueprint of how technology can work within a plant and facility, that can almost get replicated across the, you know, 2, 3, 10, 15, 20 different plants in a much accelerated fashion than it took the single plant itself. Curious if, if just any other thoughts to, to add around that, that fact.
1: It, uh, you're absolutely right. But, you know, no two factories are similar. And I think, you know, there needs to be that flexibility in the model that allows you to do that. know we have seen some great success you know a couple of years ago we had announced work that we were doing with Unilever with one of our partners then partners called Marsden who built this a digital twin of a factory and uh, you know not only they have implemented gone beyond that in implementing it multiple factories you know across Unilever's you know 300 odd factories that they have you know we ourselves Marsden actually joined the Microsoft team you know so they come came on board and it clearly shows the success that one is able to achieve using capabilities like digital twin and others to accelerate those insights so it, it, it's somewhat of also the nature of the disruptiveness that one technology can bring uh, number one and accelerate some of those processes as the second part of it uh, earlier this year in february we announced you know microsoft cloud for manufacturing it's interesting because first we recognize the importance That technology by itself doesn't solve the problem of manufacturing itself. You have to think of it from a business perspective. We look at those in dimensions from product innovation through creating an agile factory, building a resilient supply chain, and then transforming the workforce. And I think if you think of these as structural blocks, one need to have to build they need these building blocks that are can be mixed and matched and create the kind of business models, whether they are a manufacturing organization or they are a, a machine builder who is supplying to a manufacturing or a supplier or a customer or a partner in the downstream. And, and clearly, you know, some of the key things that we have heard, you know, like, for example, how do you secure, you know, the factory, the field assets, you know, how can you address the front lines need for retooling and reskilling so that they can be part of this product transformation and, and and then the business model i just mentioned about the journey to product as a service is something that we are seeing and it's almost like an x as a service it's not just product it could be anything you know it could be software as a service we have seen and those models are definitely happening The other two are very interesting aspect of it is the partnership and ecosystem play. And I think, you know, that's one thing that we don't always pay attention to. But I think, you know, customers are clearly looking at, you know, creating these ecosystems of partnerships where they would be able to collaborate and build this trust within the ecosystem itself. And the last part of it to the question that you asked was the resiliency of a manufacturing organization is also Dependent on some of the brand recognitions one's starting to get from the sustainability effort that is going on uh, within the industry. And so those are top of mind for all manufacturing stakeholders, if I may say so. And I think, you know, that's the kind of evolution that we are seeing in the industry for sale.
0: You mentioned some, something in the very, very beginning, Injunil, around like securing your plant with IoT devices. I want to kind of shift gears into this new topic around security IoT in, in manufacturing specifically. It's been all over the news. There's been this like recent uptick in ransomware attacks that have resulted in a series of negative consequences around the world. This really showed the critical vulnerability of the, the infrastructure within our s- supply chain, including you know, our oil and gas infrastructure, or even our food and agriculture. Uh, basically, I want to start with this question, Andrew, what's going on right now? What's the future going to look like as it relates to security and in- infrastructure?
1: Well, I mean, it's bound to happen. You know, I mean, hackers will always try to be one Step ahead, and uh, you know we will always try to catch up with them. We do a lot of lot of work um, in terms of ensuring simulating situations that might be evolving. But clearly, I think you know, with proliferation of the IoT per se in almost everything, and, and specifically with the edge, cloud is very very secure. I mean uh, that's given not today. You know people talk about, yeah, hey, I don't want to put data in public cloud. But truth be told, I think public cloud is a lot more secure, and we have heard this from over and over again from customers who do tremendous amount of audit of their data and the systems to tell us that you know the cloud is certainly more secure from their own data center, as an example. And I think you know that's a proof point. But I think the challenges starts happening when you have these edges. You know how do you actually secure the edges? And I'm not saying that they're not secure. They do have lots of different technology but there are vulnerabilities there are points of attack one could you know like the solar wind which was even more challenging than a ransomware in the sense that it it was at a supplier side of the whole equation and so how do you actually create a more meaningful way of securing those edges, unmanaged devices, and infrastructure is a completely a different conversation altogether. It's part of it, but it is also a different one. We have, you know, looked at technology can play a significant role in these kind of scenarios. You know, from edge to cloud security. You know, Microsoft actually has a product called Azure Defender for IoT. Essentially, it is enabling us to help lot of our manufacturers to be able to secure those edges. And, and the beauty of this system is that, you know, it can discover edges that are unmanaged and, and, you know, how do you do that? But I think that's only one step of it. But I think, you know, you now need to start thinking about, are there ways how you could create an edge to cloud security end-to-end without any breakpoint? Because, you know, I think the challenges are that there are always... Solution softwares that are being added to it to create or create the level of security or secure nests as, as we can say, think of it that way. But I think the there is always those vulnerabilities because of those gaps that might actually exist because they're not a single one stream of software. And I think you know, we have done a lot of work in that particular space. And not just us. I think a lot of industry players are have been doing a lot of work in this particular space. So for us, it has been mostly to you know, we announced a product what some time ago called, you know, Azure Sphere. Essentially, it is a MCU-based security that connects all the way to the cloud and so for A lot of edge devices that is using those MCU-based capability from Azure Sphere, that takes all the way to that. And I think, you know, that's, you know, one of the areas where we talk about it. But I think what, another, another aspect of it is that what about the... PCs and servers and everything else that exist, you know, because those are also still vulnerable. And I think we do create, you know, solutions that actually can secure, you know, end to end. I think back in October or November 9th, time frame last year, Microsoft, Intel, Qualcomm announced a joint initiative for creating something called Pluton. And uh, the idea of the Pluton is that you know you secure those desktops and laptops and others by creating same kind of capability like what Azure provides all the way from the chip level to the cloud, as an example of it. And so it's a work in progress, I would say. You know, cybersecurity standards are being developed. The government, you know, has an executive order, basically to look into assess the, you know, the U.S. readiness and our ability to deal with these kind of infrastructure, you know, fallouts that we have heard of. So it's an ongoing work, but I I think it is top of mind for almost everybody on how to protect the business in a way that doesn't get exposed to things like ransomware, not for their own business, but also for their suppliers' business, because a supplier being locked out also means the disruptions in their own business.
0: Yeah, I mean the impact to the supply chain just affects so many downstream businesses. It's, it's absolutely kind of wild. You know, we we talked a little bit about like the the growing push towards cybersecurity, but I've also heard this idea that a lot of the ransomware, a lot of the cybersecurity issues that are getting brought up come from very, very basic things like not having very simple passwords or not securing your own network. I'm just curious, like where do you see the biggest vulnerabilities within technology? Is it is it kind of like the most basic things right now or are hackers just getting smarter and penetrating the very complex, let's call it cybersecurity rules that we have?
1: I, th- I think it's all the factors, all of the above, I would say that, you know, I mean, clearly vulnerability starts with securing the edges, you know, and, and human, you know, element are always critical in many of those situations, you know, passwords. You know and, and as you can see that world itself is moving away from using password, but you know, probably 80% of still uses password as an example, you know. Uh, you know, two-factor capabilities in using authenticators and other things are all showing up more and more. You know, how one can actually do that to ensure uh, that part of it. That's being only one part. But I think to your point, it is also the hackers who are constantly, as I mentioned, that hackers are constantly trying to get ahead of it. A lot of the vulnerabilities happens because of the older systems that are not upgraded, that are not patched, and that actually exist. Even many other companies, many other enterprises don't even know those exist within their environment, as an example, because of the way how it was deployed, managed in the past. And I think, you know, being able to create an effective set of tools that can go do these discovery on its own. And that's what I was talking about this Azure Azure Defender for IoT, which can actually do many of these discoveries of those IoT devices on the edge on its own, are critical tools. And so my point here is that the tools exist. It's a matter of how companies make those level of investment in ensuring that their security is there, but it is not a one-time effort. It needs to be a continuous process to evaluate you know, how their security is enabled, implemented, and the people who are empowered to make some of those choices and and decisions. So clearly, I think on the individual manufacturer, I think this needs a conversation on how, but but, you know, essentially the technology exists or in the horizon, essentially. You know, there are newer things that we are looking at it at this point of time. More than that, I think the policies, the government policies, you know the state actors and how we deal with them are also a parallel uh, set sort of activity and then i'm you know i'm glad to say i think the there is a bipartisan effort across the congress as well as you know in the government that this is much more serious and you know hopefully the upcoming you know some of the legislation on the infrastructure and others are going to address some of those critical vulnerabilities that allows that actually has literally terrorized our infrastructure in some sense and form, you know, and, and incentivizing to a great extent that everybody needs to adopt to some of those standards.
0: What's been going on through my mind, Andrew, now is, you know, why now? Has this always been happening and we just never heard about it because people don't want to talk about the vulnerabilities within their own infrastructure? Or is it happening more and more? Are hackers seeing, like, the monetary gains of this? I kind of just want to ask the question, like, has this always been happening or why are we hearing about it more and more right now?
1: First, you know, the social media obviously makes it a lot more easier for people. We get to know a lot more now uh, than earlier because of the proliferation of the information and everybody is so tuned to everything that is going on in bubbles a lot quicker. So there is very hard to hide something that happens today unlike in the past where people could actually avoid not talking about it, right? I mean, hackers always existed. I mean, I can remember going back, you know, 20 plus years ago, we always, you, you know, have a way of testing in our software using hackers to come together and, you know, test out the, you know, are the vulnerabilities exist or not, you know, so those are ways how we used to do it. That is also the part of it where the hackers have gotten a lot more sophisticated. It is always going to be the case. You know, I think there is always going to be the, I mean, it's always already known that, you know, the next battleground is the cyber really not physical battleground in many cases. And, and I think, you know, the, the government looks at it that way and creating the right level of measures Cyber is interesting space as more and more utilization takes place. And uh, just like any other physical assets, one need to protect it. But the tools exist. That's an important part of it, that the tools exist. It's how do we apply those tools in the right level? You know, the tools exist, the investments are there, but we need to get them all aligned in a way, not just as a country, but as a society with a lot of our allies together, you know, building our effective countermeasures, I would call it. So we talked quite a bit about like the future of technology. We talked a little bit about
0: like how security plays a role in, in the future. But I think what also is a lot of a lot of people you know, within our own customer or community that, that are going on through their minds is how does the future affect me in my role today? So something that I'm asked quite a bit is really about what the future of maintenance looks like and how the role of a technician kind of changes in this increasingly digital age. So I'd love to throw the question out to you, Injuno, and hear your thoughts around around this. How is technology affecting the role of people within the shop floor? And how are their roles within within industrial companies changing as a result of all this technology coming in?
1: Yeah, and I will start first on the factory side of it. One of the things a few weeks ago we talked about in one of our conferences at the BUILD around this whole concept of the metaverse apps. If you think about the evolution of the factory environment, you know, starting with the IoT, creating a very standardized way of connecting, bringing and creating this whole digital twin of a factory, if you can think of it that way. And, and it's not just for visualization of the factory, but also in terms of becoming a little bit more predictive, you know, so you're now running analytics that allows you to, you know, look into, you know, whenever the processes are needs to be fine-tuned or needs to be changed instead of shutting down the whole factory after the fact and then redoing everything, you know, being able to become a lot more predictive, you know, and, and being able to take actions before even it happens, you know, whether it is at a process level going back to the APC layer and then fine-tuning those parameters as an example of it, Two actual maintenance problems within the an equipment that might actually exist. And, and I think you know, what we are seeing is application of AI uh, to reduce or identify or improve some of these performance. A good example would be you know, applications of deep reinforced learning. And Microsoft actually, you know through acquisitions, created this called the autonomous AI, which allows us to now apply, let's say, to reduce, becoming a little bit more prescriptive. So, for example, in CNC calibration, as an example, you know, where you could you'd have to have skilled technicians or engineers to come configure and get to that level of tolerance of you know 0. 0.101 micron level tolerance for the cutter head you could now use simulation to be able to create an AI brain that actually does that in a fraction of a time what an individual would likely to take, right? So what it is also doing is creating these expert systems that are you know, using the human intelligence to learn and reduce some of those challenges of how you actually improve some of those capabilities within that. And, and but I think you know, that's been only one part of it because the broader question comes back to, you cannot replace humans in factories today. Yes, there are lights out factories. I mean, we know that for sure it happens in a number of different industries, but I think even, even in lighthouse factories, you have humans who are monitoring and managing those processes remotely as an example of it. And when there are problems happen, you really need to quickly get to that point and to solve those problems much faster. And so we have seen these the rise of this, you know, uh, what we call mixed reality, you know, the augmented reality capability using, you know, devices like Hololens to put it on and you know help the guide them through the whole process to solve the problem either on their own or through a remote assist, that who can remotely look at it in, you know, And, and, you know, one of the great examples of it we published a few years ago was with jointly with ThyssenKrupp elevators, and where they had their technicians prepare before even they go out to a service call at a customer facility. By looking at the model of the elevator, all the documentations on the technical informations, the inventory of the parts that they need to carry with them for that, everything being checked off and then being able to go to the site in um, use hands-free way of then solving the problem, which otherwise they will have to open a laptop or a device, a hardened device, that they could actually look at it. And so we are seeing these tools are elevating the new way of how doing it. Now, if you think about that from a factory perspective, all the layers that I talked about, you know, from IoT to digital twin to the analytics, AI, and then the mixed reality, creating this whole metaverse, you know, as a as a uh, solution, is the next evolution that we are seeing happening that. And, and so when you take that, and start to apply it into different environment, whether it is for a machine builder who needs to support a remote equipment, how can you do that? You know, ASML, which is one of the largest semiconductor, you know, equipment manufacturer that has customers around the globe in their fabs uh, for the fabrication of uh, chips, as an example. When the pandemic hit, uh, one of the first thing that impacted them was ability to travel to these sites and support the customers' requirement, you know, to keep these machines, and many of these factories are literally lights out. They run pretty much on their own, but you do need uh, people to supervise them, and you know, do smaller maintenance. As an example, they used the Hololens to send it, ship it to the customers across the globe, and they were able to remotely sit in, uh, you know, Netherlands and support these customers. And so we are seeing the evolution of some of these technologies, enabling our, you know, the field services, modernizing it to a point. I think it becomes really a great way of how we enable and change the industry itself. And what
0: I hear from you, Andrew, is is really the, the role of a technician, especially in a manufacturing plant. There's kind of two parallel things going on. One is this idea of augmenting and also capitalizing on human insight, creativity, through tools that enable faster and better communication, access to information. And then the second thing is, you know, essentially what you're talking about with lights out factories, enabling people to you know, essentially remote in and work remotely even in physical environments. And these two things are kind of changing the way that people work. But what I what I don't hear from you is saying that you know the role of a technician within a manufacturing plant is going to go away.
1: Yeah, I mean that's not going to happen anytime soon. The, 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 the bigger bigger question is that how do we train and reskill yeah. the technicians with these new tools and capabilities? And it is not about them individually, it is about the manufacturing organizations or, um, you know, or a machine builder or for that matter, anyone who needs to support product remotely, how are they reskilling their workforce to be able to do that? I mean, one thing we have heard over and over again, and I think, you know, this came up in uh, National Association of Manufacturers. One of the biggest challenge in the U.S. today is the um, unfilled jobs in the manufacturing. And, and it's because <clears throat> there is not enough talent, not enough people, who can actually take up these kind of roles. And, you know, even field services, if you think of it that way, in, in all industries, you know, from telecommunications to manufacturing to oil and gas, these are specialized jobs. They need certain training and other things. So National Association of Manufacturers and have been talking a lot about it. And we from Microsoft actually have also talked about how we can, Help, and we are committed to help with uh, training the workers in the field, the frontline workers as we call it, in the field and in manufacturing as an example of it. And, and the companies, you know, enterprises really need to make a commitment on helping to build that reskilling of that effort. And more so because you know, as the millennials you know, leave the workforce, the next generation of workers won't have that level of experience. It takes time to build that experience and so we are seeing the tools to supplement those kind of things to help them get up to speed, capture the essence of some of the institutional knowledge that is going away and then help them to build it around it. And so I think you know, bringing these combinations of things can help, uh, but clearly to your point, the workforce is, uh, will not go away. In fact, it will improve or increase the requirement of the workforce in a different directions in a much more higher level work than a you know work that a lot of people used to do to supplement because technology didn't exist in those areas as an example from a company's perspective what are some things that a company can do
0: to kind of like shore up this this skills gap between you know people who are leaving with tons of experience and knowledge and also coupled with this that it's also difficult to get skilled workers into these into these jobs and you know, manufacturing industrial settings.
1: It is a challenge. It is a challenge one recognizes. You know, um, that's one of the reasons I call out this, you know, transforming your workforce is one of the key element of our uh, strategy. Microsoft Cloud for Manufacturing uh, really talks about um, that as one of the key areas. We have seen, you know, using of, you know, how those people can share information, their learnings through and throughout, you know, collaboration is a key part of that capability. So first is transforming their existing work environment to make it very attractive to the workforce, the new generation of workers that are entering the workforce, as an example, because I think, you know, people... A lot of people don't see manufacturing as a cool, uh, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, it's uh, old, dated, uh, noisy, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that's, that's a view that has changed quite some time ago, but it has not been well articulated with the broader community and attracting more people to take up those within their education stream and then join the workforce as one, one part of it. But I think it's important to also recognize the fact that one has to attract the talent and, you know, recruit and then retain them. And I think that's a key part of it, you know, providing them with the right tool sets and other things. One of the the great, and I talk about this from time to time, uh, based on some of the conversations, a lot of factories had in the past really doesn't allow use of mobile phones in the factory floor, as an example. And for whatever reason, good reasons, there are good reasons why it cannot be used. There are also reasons why it can be used. But I think if you think about the Generation Z Think about them not using a mobile phone in their work break and not looking into their, you know, social stream or, you know, responding to something. It is amazing, you know, how the world has changed. And I think, you know, adopting some of these modern capabilities and creating this modern enterprise that's forward looking, um, that's the first step. You know, creating that environment that actually attracts innovation, that attracts individuals to be much more proactive in solving the problems. That's the first step. The second is creating an environment where learning is continuous. And I think you know, this is where we can think of tools that not only captures the essence of how problems are being solved, but these becomes kind of assistant that can actually answers to your questions, looking into the large pool of problems that have already been solved finding the right set of informations and even you know the right resource who can solve the problem for you and and i think you know those are key part of it and making that investment into that resources for the future is the critical aspect of what companies can do right now as an example
0: you know we talk a lot about digital transformation and i think what what really stood out to me in your comments was it it may not just be about the digital transformation it's also about the workplace transformation as well
1: yes absolutely and and I think you know that's the you're absolutely right I think you know we see that a lot of people think only about investment in digital technology, but they forget about that human element that really need to run this part of it. And one needs to think of that holistically end-to-end as an example. So you are spot on actually recognizing that as one of the key element of our strategy and how we think about it. And thank you so
0: much for taking the time to speak with me and our entire community today. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep, and you can connect with me over at the maintenance community at upkeep.org. Thank you again, Injornel. It was a pleasure speaking to you and I've learned so, so much. I hope to speak with you again on the podcast again soon uh, next time. Thank you again. Thank you.